Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. One more time. Praise the Lord. Would you help me say thank you to all of our volunteers, please, our worship team, frontline and cafe workers. So thankful to everybody. Why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Revelation? There's a woo-hoo corner over on the other side. Remember why we are reading this? Well, it's the Bible, so it's good, but we are clinging to the promises that are presented to us as in this book that, that tell us that we will be blessed. Somebody said blessed. blessed. If you're anti, well, I'm not going to give you an option. Nobody in the room is anti-blessed. By the way, some of, did you all know we have three other services? It's fine. And so I was talking to a sweet saint in the back. They said, last week it wasn't this full. I said, because it was time changed. There were 70 people watching live. <laughs> time change. Oh, it's far. Button. Have you, did, did Pastor Gabby have everybody welcome our online folks? Did we do that? Good. That's important because I, hello, online people at my house. All right. But here we are clinging to the promise given to us in this text, and that is blessed are those who will read and hear and heed these words. Look, some of these passages are gonna, we're gonna have to hold on to that promise as we read them because we're gonna go, woo. So today's one of them. So blessed is everybody who reads them and hears them and heeds them. Amen. If we have, and then if you have ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So here we are, the church in Thyatira, uh, which is, we're, gonna, we're in uh, chapter 2, verses, verse 18 to the end of chapter 2, 18 to 29. Here it is, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. Ozzy, let me know next time you're going to take a picture. I'll give you a good grin. <laughs> Sometimes he has a hard time taking pictures of me because all, all, all I ever have is game face. It's always intense. So all the pictures look like, why is that pastor mad? <laughs> He's not mad at all. Game face. Verse 19, I know your deeds, and your love, and faith, and service, and perseverance. And that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Good, you should digest that one. Enjoy that, because he continues. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, Jezze, who calls, I had a guy, one of our friends was talking about a guy and called him Jezebob. I thought that was funny. He said, that guy's got a spirit of Jezebob. It's not funny, this is serious. But I have this against you. 
that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she doesn't want to repent. You guys are doing really well. This is supposed to be audience participation to a degree. She doesn't want to repent of her immorality. Verse 22, Behold, I'll throw her onto a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I'll kill her children. Now, that's a metaphor. Stay tuned. I'll kill her children with pestilence and all the, all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, feel the layers of sarcasm, the deep things of Satan, as they call them. I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I also have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. And he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This content is intense. Did anybody feel that? We need to be confident then about what the concerns are here, what the consequences that Jesus describes are, what his command is. And ultimately, I want to urge this. I want us to be confident about the hope that is present in this text. To the church at Thyatira. Thyatira uh, is, of all of these seven churches, it is the smallest of the cities. It's a small town. Some say it's it's so small that it's not even significant. But isn't that interesting that Jesus doesn't measure the way we do? Listen, it's not part of the text. It's not even remotely part of the exegetical implication, but I'm just glad that Jesus cares about small towns. I mean, we, I mean if, it, if, if we're written, oh, the, to the church at Portland, you know, whatever. <laughs> the church at Seattle or Frisco or New York, we're like, oh, yeah, boy, they got, he got something to say. Let, to the church at the Shug. To the church in Brush Prairie. To the church in Yakult. Oh, Jesus doesn't see that. Yes, he does. He sees us. He has something to say. This is so good. This is the smallest city, but it has the longest message and the most intense concerns. Now, here's what's interesting about this church in Thyatira. The church in Thyatira existed until the year 1922. You, this is fun. This makes it fun to talk to you. 
They, were de- they, they, they remained there until they were deported in 1922. When did they begin? Well, in Acts chapter 16, when Paul responds to the Macedonian call and he crosses over and he goes into, into Philippi, he's looking around for a person, he finds a woman named Lydia who is a dealer of purple garments who is from Thyatira. So we could say that the church existed in Thyatira from Acts 16 to 1922. Small town. Matters to Jesus. And then hear this. From the Son of God. That should have been more of a Mufasa moment for you. From the Son of God. There it is. Whoa. Yeah, okay. This is the only use of this title in this way in Revelation. The Son of God. When we hear this, our response is to wait with bated breath and holy fear. The Son of God is speaking. Then all negotiations are off the table. There is no debate. All I can do is listen with bated breath and make haste to obey. The one who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. This speaks of, the, again, the eyes of Jesus who search and see without limit. He, this is going to be a repeated emphasis in this passage. He sees us and his sight, his understanding of us is without limit. And his feet are those who exercise pure and just judgment. Verse 19 says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. I know your love. I know your faith. I know your service. I know your perseverance. And that your deeds of late are greater than they were at first. First, he says, I know your deeds. Dear friends, what you have done and what you are doing matters to Jesus. Mm, I want you to drink that deeper. What you have done, what you are doing, matters to the Son of God. Believing this is so empowering for us. It frees us from the shackles of applause and attention and concern. It strengthens our weariness. It steals our resolve. He describes what it is, specifically what he sees, what his searching eyes, remember? His searching eyes, what does he see and what is he pleased with? He sees your love. We've already read it, but friends, we won't find the words. This is not a performance evaluation. Your performance, your 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 numbers. He measures differently. What does he see and what does he please with? He sees your love. He sees your faith. He sees your service and your perseverance, your patient endurance. He sees you, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. He sees all of the above, even when it hasn't been easy, when it has not been convenient, when it has not been your preference, he sees it. He, and, and he is pleased with people who steward well their faithfulness and their fervency. And 
He knows that their deeds of late are greater than they were at first. Isn't that wonderful? Their love is greater than it was at first. Their faith is greater than it was at first. Their service is greater than it was at first. That means that there's always room for us to increase. Look, even in this room right now, I know there's three or four of you here, but there's still room for more. And we're fixing to make more room. Just need six or seven million dollars. No problem. No problem. There's a lot of granola out there. People spend more granola on dumb stuff. Friends, I know your deeds of late are greater. Then there is no need to fade. We can move from faith to faith, from glory to glory. There is absolutely, I don't know where we think that the law of entropy is supposed to be attached to the church. We are not going to move backwards. We are not going to decay. We are not going to, there is no reason for you and I to settle that someday we're going to be a lesser version of ourselves. This church will never be a lesser version of itself. You, your family, your faith, your walk, your calling. You can move on. You can be greater. It's not time to pull over. It's not time to park. It's not time to to take it easy. It's time to do something more. It's time to believe for something greater. (sighs) That doesn't mean you have to have more resources or more strength or more physical ability. It means you have, there's more love. There's more love in you. There's more faith in you. There's more service in you. Jesus recognizes that there's more. He's pleased. But, he says, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. You got to say Jezebel like you're from Arkansas. I didn't realize shots were fired. I've got to be more careful. I love Arkansas. Uh, Woo, man. Man, I'm in the kill zone right here. I mean, whoa, yikes. Who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches my bondservants and teaches and leads my bondservants astray so they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. The concern that Jesus has is that the church is that they are tolerating, not necessarily participating, we see that, but they are tolerating something. What does tolerate mean? Tolerate here means to be devoid of feeling. Literally, they are aware, but they don't care. And Jesus cares that they don't. What are they tolerating? They're tolerating this person who is a, a prophetess, a woman leader, not, and, and not that she, they're not just tolerating the fact that she's a, it's not that she's a woman leader, it's how she's leading. She's called Jezebel here as a synonym to refer back to the Old Testament, the wife of King Ahab. This gal in the Old Testament is a prototype, an archetype of those who use their influence 
to promote wickedness. Jezebel comes in, she marries Ahab, and under, under her influence, the northern kingdom of Israel increases in false worship, in sensuality, in manipulative control of people. She sponsored 850 false prophets. So it was her influence it was producing immorality and idolatry. And Jesus uses that as an archetype or a metaphor, a symbol to describe this gal, whoever this leader was in Thyatira. What is idolatry? I suppose growing up, um, everybody told us in Sunday school that um, idolatry is when something is more important than God. Not a problem, not, not, a, not a bad definition, it's fine. Things should not be more important than God. Amen. But I, I'm not entirely satisfied with it because it's a little subjective and it, and it feels a little bit like I, then it more important. Well, how much? Or a little bit more? Can it be a little bit? Can it be this much? Can it be that much? I don't think idolatry should be a, a, a bell curve. Well, we're going to agree on the scale. It's a little too measurable. Should there be degrees of idolatry? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, Rather, here, I want to suggest this. I think idolatry could be described as an idea or a narrative, a concept, that has as its pretense that God does not exist or that he exists at an equal or lesser degree to another power. In other words, idolatry says this, the God of heaven described in Scripture, revealed in Christ, does not exist or that he exists in a less exclusive and less powerful estate than he has claimed. So then the practice of idolatry is to acknowledge or to support or to participate in this idea. Like the feasts for the dead in Thyatira. Or the guild dinners the company dinners, the guild dinners that were held in honor of the various deities in Thyatira. Well, that's fine for them, but what bothers me about this definition that I made up was, is this. It bothers me is that it, that, that definition fits a great deal of the stories that are celebrated today. It fits, it fits too much Things that begin, listen, things that begin with the premise that God does not exist or that he somehow has colleagues or equals is idolatry. If that's idolatry, then, I, then we have to question stories that we subscribe to and celebrate, some of our theories, political and otherwise. Now, in Thyatira, the main voice for immorality and idolatry in or near the church was this person called Jezebel. She called herself a prophet, but she championed the influence of immorality and idolatry. Beware of those who clothe themselves in religious attire, but they reject accountability and they defend immorality. You may hear from them that you are less enlightened, that you are backwards, that you are antiquated, 
they may present a morality then that simply adjusts to good intentions. The church in Thyatira had not dealt appropriately with this influence, and Jesus says to them, you are tolerating this influence. And your toleration has become by default some degree of promotion. Hear this, dear friends. What you excuse, others will amplify. And what is tolerated by one generation will be celebrated by another. Thyatira had ceased to be bothered by the influence of immorality. Didn't bother them anymore. And this is what Jesus has against them. But concerning this Jezebel, let's not move on too quickly. The Son of God has more to say. And there's there's great instruction and hope in what he has to say. Verse 21. I gave her time to repent. And she does not want to. This is important, friends. Jesus desires repentance, not punishment. He is not, look, he says, I gave her time to repent. He is not eager to punish. He, He hopes, he wants, he longs for repentance. Jesus is not digging up your past. He's not digging up their past. He is addressing the present. The issue is not ignorance. The issue is their arrogance. Behold, he said, verse 22, Behold, I'll throw her onto a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her, unless they repent. It's not unusual for Scripture to use a play on words or to use irony as a lesson. So here, instead of the bed of immorality... Jesus said she'll be cast onto a bed of sickness. Of sickness is supplied by the translators. It might be in italics in your Bible because of the context. Literally what Jesus says is that one bed is going to be replaced with another. The context implies that it'll be a bed of physical consequences of their own sexual immorality or even perhaps that whatever demonic stuff they are engaging in will essentially be unrestrained in harassing them back. This is not, friends, any kind of a proof text for us to say that somehow sickness is God's will for our spiritual formation. This is a text that says neither sin nor sickness is his will. Even if in some cases it may accompany unrepented sin, neither of them need to remain Repentance is what Jesus wants. Would you say it all again with me, please? Repentance is what Jesus wants. But if they do not repent, verse 23 says, I'll kill her children with pestilence. This is a metaphor. Jezebel here is a spiritual mother of those who are practicing her rebellion. So her children, meaning those, those, her disciples, those who are imitating her, carrying on, doing what she's doing, Jesus said, I'll destroy them with death. Whoa. That is shocking. That is disturbing. That's frightening. But it's absolutely essential that we see that heaven 
views immorality and idolatry with moral horror. If we view immorality and idolatry as, ah, then we are not living with the view of eternity. Jesus says, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. What Jesus is going to do will accomplish this. All the churches, somebody say all the churches. All the churches, all every audience of this letter will know that the Son of God has eyes of burning flame, that he sees, he searches the minds and hearts. He gazes, friends, Jesus gazes perfectly upon our will. He sees our heart, our affections, and our thoughts. We are not hiding anything from him. Nothing can be hidden from his view. And then Jesus said, and he, we will know that he gives to each of us according to our deeds. Now, I can't say whether or not Jesus intends this to mean that there's going to be an immediate response. But I do know for certain that there will be an ultimate response from heaven for how we live our lives. Paul says this in Romans chapter two, beginning at verse four. He, listen, he says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of righteous judgment of God who will repay to each according to his works. He says it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And finally again in Revelation 22, behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to each according to what they have done. Therefore, let all the churches know this. He sees. He records. He rewards. And he will hold us accountable. How you live this life will matter when you stand before Christ. It won't be up to you. It won't matter how many followers we have. <laughs> it won't matter if you're an influencer. It won't, won't matter who agrees with you. It won't matter what celebrity. It won't, not, all that will matter is what the Son of God sees. Verse 24, but I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who, aren't, who don't hold to this teaching, who haven't known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. I place no other burden is reminiscent of what we hear in Acts chapter 15 under the influence of the Holy Spirit when the church wrote to the larger, broader uh, Gentile community that, that they said, we place no other burden on you but to specifically abstain from idolatry and sexual immorality. Verse 25 says this, nevertheless, in other words, in addition to all that, or having, having said all of that, 
Hear this. Ready? Hold fast. Somebody say hold fast. Hold fast until I come. Somebody say it again. Hold fast. This is the main imperative to this church. This is Christ's command. Everything else he said is true, but this is what he wants us to do. Hold fast to what you have. Be strong. Don't just hang on. Hold fast. This is probably the same language that Paul has in mind in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, when, when, when Paul writes this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. Would you say that with me? Always abounding. Oh, that was okay. Always abounding. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Not a tip, not a smidgen, not, a, not, not, not an occasional effort here and there, but always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let there be an, a, an unceasing, overflowing, energetic offering of your whole selves to the Lord. Why? Knowing that your toil is never in vain. Therefore, keep those deeds going. Hold fast. Oh, help me again. Somebody say hold fast. hold fast. Keep on. Keep on in love. Keep on in faith. Keep on in service. Keep on in perseverance. How long? How long do we keep on loving? How long do we keep on? Until. Somebody said until. We keep on until he comes. We pray until. We serve until. We love until. We, we, we believe until. We persevere until he comes. Until he comes. We fix our hope. We fix our finish line is standing before the face of Jesus. If you move that finish line, if you settle for something else, you'll settle for something less. Anything else, and we will be less than instead of greater than. Anything else, and we'll change the subject. Anything else, and we'll give up too soon. Anything else, and we'll just we'll get bored. Anything else, we'll, we'll settle for the temporary instead of the eternal. We'll, we'll settle for the adequate instead of the well done. This whole book, Revelation, is built on you and I living in, in anticipation of, in awareness of, in hope in, in resolve because of He is coming. He is coming. Friends, please hear me. We're just getting started in this book. But this book is not about when we leave. Rats. No! This book is not about when we leave. It's about when he comes. Yeah. I'm not living for the first bus out of here. I am living for his return. Yeah. And I fix my eyes on that and I keep on. I hold fast until. Why? Because he who overcomes 
And he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he shall rule over them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. And, I'll, and as also I have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. What's this mean? It means his reward is worth it. Somebody says, say it out loud with me. His reward is worth it. Whatever else you get from this list of what Jesus said, get that. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And his reward is worth it. His reward is worth your resolve. His reward is worth your purity. His reward is worth the pain of right choices. His reward is worth the discomfort of being unpopular. His reward is worth not knowing if anybody sees or anybody cares or anybody's applauding. His reward is worth even your weariness. His reward is worth, hear this, friends, please hear this. His reward is worth your love. His reward is worth your faith. His reward is worth your perseverance. Hold fast. Keep on. Because he sees and he records and he rewards He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Friends, there will come a day when it will all be worth it. No matter what we experience now in the highs and the lows and the changes and the seasons, will all be worth it. There will come a day when you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and all you'll have to offer him is your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance. I'm not quitting. I won't quit and I won't change the subject. Highs and lows, gains and losses, I won't quit. Well, hold fast. His reward is worth it. It's worth it. And I won't settle for anything less than to hold fast until he comes. worthy. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. are worthy of it all. You are
stand together. There's some of you this morning, you just need to bring, you just need to bring it. You need to bring your love, your, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and just bring it as an offering to Jesus. There's some of you this morning, you are, you are, you have felt under it, you have felt wearied, you have, you have, you have wearied and you have wondered about this race, about this journey. Maybe you have felt highs or lows or losses or nothing. Sometimes feeling nothing is the hardest. But if you, if you have for even a moment taken your eyes off of the prize, taken your eyes off of the real finish line, then discouragement will creep in, boredom will creep in, distraction will creep in. But my friend today, if you have felt weary, if you have wondered if it was worth it, I encourage you. I want to, I'd love to pray with you today. If you have felt under the burden of this journey and you want to feel the strength, you need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit today to fix your eyes on Christ, to hold fast until He comes. I'd love to pray with you today. Or if you just want to present an altar of worship to Jesus, I invite you to come from where you are. Find a place right here at the front. Let's pray together. Let me pray with you and for you as we sing this chorus again. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. of it all You are worthy of it all For from you are all things and to you are all things You deserve the glory Before we go Lord, we also pray for those who are with us live and later online. Lord, that you would strengthen their hearts, the hearts of those hearing right now. Lord, those that are weary, those that wonder. Lord, would you strengthen our hearts? Would you fix our gaze? Would you strengthen our resolve to hold fast until? To hold fast with our love and our faith and our service and our perseverance. You are worthy of it all. We give you thanks and praise. If you want to stick around and pray, you want to come forward and pray, we'll be happy to pray with you and for you at the front here. If you need to go, may the Lord bless you. May you hold fast until he comes.